leading tech events is back today, and this year's gathering will feature a generous helping of artificial intelligence. Yeah, CES 2024 in Las Vegas will host more than 3,500 companies. They showcase the latest innovations in healthcare, sustainability, gaming, and so much more. And of course, we know we are tech central, so that's why we have such interest in this. Joining us to discuss some of what we can expect and maybe even have bragging rights about the Bay Area is Carolyn Posner, Senior Manager for the Consumer Technology Association. Welcome, Carolyn. So first, let's start off with the focus on AI, all the regulations going on, the big question, too much, too fast. All the regulations going on, the big question, too much, too fast. This guy's just throwing all the memes in there. Good morning, everybody, setting up for Coda Radio. This, of course, is CES week. We don't have a lot of CES coverage in the main show, although there'll probably be trickle-down I have no doubt trickle-down impacts later on. But uh, I thought we'd just do some real quick hits from CES, and I just I couldn't resist the obnoxiousness of this morning team, you know, <laughs> from the uh, Bay Area studio. Or is it the right time to start implementing? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. We're very excited to be just a few hours away from the opening of CES 2024. So what are the most hyped? What? That guy came at her. Okay, hold up, hold up. Okay, just for a second. I won't do this a lot. But that guy came at her with like, I don't know, a buffet, a breakfast buffet, you might say, of AI memes. And then she just doesn't answer any of them. Writes about the Bay Area is Carolyn Posner, Senior Manager for the Consumer Technology Association. Welcome, Carolyn. So first, let's start off with the focus on AI, all the regulations going on, the big question, too much, too fast. Or is it the right time to start implementing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're very excited to be just a few hours away from the opening of CES 2024. So what are the... So nothing. So she's got nothing for that. Good for her, really. All right, let's get to the other questions. We're very excited to be just a few hours away from the opening of CES 2024. So what are the most hyped products or companies that we're going to be hearing about in 2024? Well, certainly, as you said, AI is going to be a huge theme. And this is how you know the fix is already in, because when this was recorded, CES hadn't even started yet. How would she have an answer to that if CES hasn't started yet? How? I ask you how. Uh, but let's, let's switch to something I care a little bit more about. Barbecues. Apparently, barbecues, grills are a big category at CES. CES has increasingly become a grill show over the years. A what? Starting in 2020, when Weber showed off its Smokefire Smart Pellet Grills at the show it? in Las Vegas. The company is back this year with an all-new Smart Pellet Grill, Searwood, which has a bunch of improvements that the company has learned over the last few years working with Smokefire. Okay. On top of all of the Wi-Fi connectivity, connected recipes, step-by-step guidance, and all the... Can I just say, uh, uh, the more these Weber grills get complicated, the, the further they get away from the original Weber mission. And also, all of those names sound like characters from the Warrior Cat series that my young daughter loves. Like, those names are like Warrior Cat names. Uh, what's, what is Weber doing? What are you doing, Webs? The company is back this year with an all-new smart pellet grill, Searwood, which has a bunch of improvements that the company has learned over the last few years working with Smokefire. On top of all of the Wi-Fi connectivity, connected recipes, step-by-step guidance, and all the things you would expect out of a smart pellet grill, the company has added new modes that allow you to cook with the lid open for things like griddling, smash burgers, breakfast, that sort of thing. That special mode changes, so instead of setting a set grill temperature, you set an intensity. And it just cranks it. It just cranks it and burns through your fuel. 
Okay, so here's what I don't like about these barbecues. And I have one. I don't use the feature. I got I got one that was kind of like the, this, but like from years ago. Um, it takes away the art. You know, if you just tell it I want brisket and it makes – and it goes into Weber brisket mode and the sear wood produces you the perfect brisket – well, well, when after you've bought the thousand dollar grill and you go buy the fancy brisket, like it's impossible to mess up almost. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't feel right. You should have to learn how to make a brisket. I am still learning how to make a brisket after years. I mean, it's appealing that I could put a piece of meat in this and it produces the perfect meat, but perfect meat by whose definition? And that's the thing. I don't know, guys. Don't like it. Don't like it. But things like griddling, smash burgers, breakfast, that sort of thing. That special mode changes. So instead of setting a set grill temperature, you set an intensity from 1 to 10 based on what you're cooking. Lower intensity for things like pancakes, medium intensity for things like bacon, high intensity for things like searing off a steak that you have smoked previously. On the sear wood, the company has opted for a cast aluminum construction that holds heat better. And the company has also redesigned the grease and ash management system for easier cleanup. The Searwood Smart Pellet Grills will come in two sizes, a 24-inch and a 36-inch. I'm a little nervous. I see plastic along the side there. I see plastic. The 24-inch will retail for $8.99, and the 36-inch will retail for $11.99, both of which are supposed to be available this spring. In addition to a new pellet grill, the company has added smart features to its top-of-the-line Summit gas grills. The Summit line is the company's most premium gas grills, and to cater to that audience, the company has added an infrared burner in the top of the grill to allow you to sear off and finish foods that you have cooked at lower temperatures. I do like those infrared burners, but you know what I'm not a big fan of is that big honking LCD screen on the front. Uh, Oh man, it's got a knob. I mean, it looks so good and looks very readable for the temperature. I mean, I cover my barbecues. I cover them. And yet, anything like that gets absolutely gross and destroyed. Am I the only one? Is it a Pacific Northwest thing? Let me know. Coder.show slash Matrix. Get in that chat room. We're live on the Jupiter Station live feed as well, which is crazy exciting, which means you can also live boost into the show and support this here stream as we go along. I'll get that loaded up here in a minute. And Mr. Dominic will be joining us, and we have a packed coder because uh, we haven't seen each other for like three weeks. So there's just like a ton of stuff in there. Um, all right. Let's see what else from now. Nah, I think we're done with CES. I think I'm done. That's I mean, that is the story going on right now. There is news coming out of CES. So if anything breaks while we're on air, I'll keep my eye on it. But. There's one other big tech story that I'm going to mention briefly in Coder. We can get a little context on. This might be actually the biggest tech story nobody's talking about. Approval or rejection of the spot Bitcoin ETFs, though approvals are pretty widely expected at this point to us right now and what that could mean for crypto at large. John Palmer is the president and CEO of Digital. It's a separate entity from parent company CBOE uh, Global Markets, which is the listing agent, or I should say exchange, for spot Bitcoin ETFs. All right, so that's a lot. But what we have here is two gentlemen on Squawk Box on CNBC uh, this morning, uh, live about an hour before I came on the air. CBOE Digital is not involved in the process of launching the ETFs, but it would benefit uh, from their approval. 
What do you think we're going to hear? And is there a wrinkle in what we might hear? Well, I mean, I think you've seen quite a lot of uh, progress right. made really uh, last couple of weeks. Even yesterday, we, you know, we saw some back and forth between the commission and, and the issuers on the S-1s. Um, so I think that's good sentiment, right? I mean, progress here is good. You're seeing the, the, the agencies engage. You're seeing the issuers engage. And, and all the filings from the exchanges are all up to date at this point from what we can see. So, so let's assume that there's an approval. Do you think there's certain ones that get approved? Do you think it's a whole, all of them get approved at the same time? How does that work? And then what does it mean in terms of as they get launched, how much Bitcoin they're going to be buying in the market, what that does to the price? Has, has, have we already bought, bought the rumor, sell the news? What's the thought? Yeah, it's it's obviously a, a pretty big competitive milestone, right? We have uh, quite a quite a few different issuers w- with filings in. Uh, the SEC has different dates for different um, rule filings on right. the exchange side that they can approve. But it's it's you know there's so there's a couple different scenarios, right? They could, as you mentioned, approve a few of them out, or they can approve them all at once. You know, so time will tell. I think between today and right. tomorrow, how it seems like most people are betting on at least nearly all of them. There's a dozen applications in front of the SEC right now. Yes, a dozen different banks want to launch Bitcoin ETFs. Will all 12 of them get approval? I don't know about that, but I bet you I wouldn't be surprised if at least eight all get approved at once. How that's actually going to go. And then you still have the S1 aspect that has to be made effective, right? And so we've seen the, the, uh, the agency engage with the issuers on that. And so both the rule filings and the S1s have to be both approved right. and made effective before they actually can list it. Okay, so impact on price. For those who've been speculating the past month or two or three now that this day is going to come, has it moved as much as it's going to move? Is this the, the, the day it gets announced, it moves another? You should never try to guess where the price is going to go. You know, 20, 34. I mean, what are we talking about here? It's hard to expect because we have to really see how the capital flows into the ETF. I, I think, obviously, uh, an approval is bullish, but we've seen uh, a big move recently. So the, the best part here is that it's, there's going to be additional investors that get access to, to Bitcoin that maybe don't really want to natively hold it themselves, right? So they're if, gonna I, be able to buy it. if I told you it was going to move 15%, that I didn't tell you which way. Here's a snapshot of the banks involved. I was just about to fade them out, but they finally put this up. So Grayscale, which kind of kicked off the lawsuit that forced the SEC's hands. Fidelity, ARC, is, ARC has also been in here pretty long. And then the one that everybody realized was going to make this happen, BlackRock. They've only had one of their ETFs ever denied out of like nearly 400. Uh, so there's a few others in here too, like I said. Um... Valkyrie's in here, Wisdom Tree, Hashtag Spitwise. There's, a, there's like I said, a dozen. Um, so a lot of money. It's a lot of money and a lot of marketing. I don't think well, I'd be surprised. And w- w- <laughs> Right, but pick away. Well, it's like or, that up, every day, practically. Yeah, not really, but pick away, up or down. I think it depends on whether what which way the approval, if it's approved or not approved. Well, let's say it's approved. If it's, if approved? it's approved, no. If, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. saying if it's approved. Go with approved. It's, if it's approved, I think it's likely we see more of an upside than a downside. You do? Yeah. And then do you see it becoming something? I mean, I remember we've had people on this broadcast that come on. Kathy Woods says it goes to $500,000 a Bitcoin. We had people years ago come on say it'd be a million dollars a Bitcoin. Do you think that's directionally where this all goes? Do you think that there's sort of a cap on, on what it is? Do you think every, every investor in, a, in the world decides that they need to have some portion of their um, assets in Bitcoin? 
I think it depends, again, on, on how much we see flow in, right? Bitcoin right now, market cap is just over 900, $915 billion, right? So even a successful ETF launch in one year could be $10 or $15 billion in AUM. That would be quite successful compared to some of, you know, even some of the most successful ETF launches. So even that is, you know, we're only talking 1% or 2% of the current market cap of Bitcoin. So how much is that really going to inflate the price? I'm just... I don't know. I mean, I've been following this since 2013-ish. I can't believe we are now at a point where CNBC is spending this much on airtime talking about Bitcoin. Uh, so an ETF, I mean, I'm no expert. Magnolia Mayhem in the chat room says, um, I don't know what an ETF is. It's got, it stands for an exchange-traded fund. Um, and it's, a, it's basically, I suppose the D-bag term would be like it's an instrument but you take something in like in the real world or you can take like a real world asset like gold or you could take like a bunch of companies. Like so I think some of the most popular ETFs are really just bundling up of different types of stocks that address different market segments or have certain performance characteristics. And so basically it was a tool that banks could come along and make a derivative of existing things that could be traded on the stock market. So this is really when people buy gold these days, they don't buy gold, right? They don't have like a closet full of gold. Most of them are buying a gold ETF. There's rules about like how much the underlying asset has to be held by the ETF issuer and stuff like that. That's what's been getting sorted out for the last few months with the Bitcoin stuff. Uh, the, the reason why it matters for Bitcoin is because it means... Your Fidelities and your BlackRocks, all of these traditional financial institutions that have a lot of assets that they manage, all the plumbing that's there is now available to Bitcoin. So, like, they don't have to go to Coinbase directly, open up an account, and, you know, and put, like, a spot order in or a limit. Order. Like, they can just go to their whatever trade, you know, whatever, whatever boomer trading app they're probably using, because it's probably for boomers mostly. I don't mean to be ageist. I mean, really. I think people younger that would probably just hold the sats. But, you know, like, maybe they have a, a, a stock investment account already. You know, they buy a little Tesla or whatever. That same app also sells ETFs. So that same website or that same institution also sells ETFs. They're like just stocks now. So Bitcoin is going to be traded on the stock market, basically. And the reason why it's a big deal, and I'm going to bring this up in the show, too. I mean, it's a really big deal. And I, the reason why I say it's kind of the, maybe the biggest tech story getting missed right now is because it's free open source software. Free software is being recognized as a currency by the largest banks in the world and is going to be traded on the U.S. stock market, the largest market in the world, and opened up to billions of dollars of potential investment, a free software project, right? Not a free software like, not like a company that makes money off free software, like Red Hat or IBM. The free software project itself is going to be traded on the stock market. And people are going to be buying up shares of a free software project. Do you hear me? Do you hear me right now? Isn't that huge? I feel like that's a big tech story that maybe just people aren't wrapping their heads around. I... To me, it's historic. It's never, I can't, I don't know if this ever been done before. I mean, the actual, like the actual like software project is the thing that is getting an ETF created. That's, that's bonkers to me. 
Um, all right. So before we go live, I want to play uh, this take that CNBC has on corporate DEI policies. Legal scrutiny and other issues seems to be like the issue seems like it's been flipped on its head, actually. Uh, hopefully you don't get too upset by this, but take a listen to this. I think this is a fascinating discussion and maybe an indication of where things are going in 2024. Diversity, equity and inclusion policies at companies across the country uh, now may be at risk of being interrupted after a group of lawyers and investors are considering using corporate law to challenge DEI policies, claiming they may have deprived shareholders of talent and violated employment laws. It's a fascinating twist in what has been a fascinating ongoing story. Our next guest outlined uh, this case in her most recent letter. Joining us right now is uh, Liz uh, Hoffman, Semaphore uh, Business and Finance Editor. I shouldn't say letter. Do we call it? It's a newsletter, really, but maybe we could call it a letter. It's like I, reading I'm a letter. I'm a reporter. I write stories, and there's some uh, there's some great content around them twice a and week. And a CNBC contributor as well. Liz, so, so tell us what's happening here, because there has been a real sort of sea change, and it, it is coincided with what we're seeing in academia uh, now moving into the corporate world. Yeah, I mean, the same just massively quickly shifting political winds um, have really done a 180 on, you know, it was just four or five years ago that companies were being pressured really to adopt these really ambitious targets, some people might call them quotas, which is sort of how we got here, um, to really diversify their workforces. And it was you know, wildly overdue um, at the time. Uh, but the world changed. And these are uh, really soft spots, I think, for uh, critics of these policies to go right. after. There's, there's so, sort of a really soft underbelly here. But what do you think of the shareholder lawsuits and, and the entire there's been a, a industrial complex uh, that has grown up in the last five years around DEI? Yeah, look, I think the wind was already kind of coming out of the sails. I mean, if, if you look you know, chief diversity officers used to be a direct report to the CEO. I mean, a lot of those jobs are turning over and getting de-emphasized anyway, which is why I think some of these critics will be pushing on an open door um, when and if they, they do sue. Look, the theory here is that companies have been violating federal employment law, number one, exposing themselves to big liability, uh, for which they would presumably have to pay shareholders money to fix. The other is that they're depriving shareholders of the best talent. Um, I think the latter is going to be pretty tough to prove. There's a we shall see. How about that? that? Actually, companies had been overlooking a little bit of a turn on its head. I'd be curious to know what you think. Get in before the commercial streams at coder.show slash matrix. And speaking of which, I should bring up those commercial streams. So let's take a little radio break here. A little uh, radio transition. What do you want to call it? We're going to go from radio, I suppose, to video. So it's really kind of like a video break. I guess just stand by. Listen to some music while I bring up the commercial streams. Gosh darn it. We're going to uh, listen to The Jetsons by Joe Martin Music. You talk about the future. What do you see? Is it an ocean of color growing exponentially? What keeps me up through the night time, keeps me dreaming through the day, is that the goddess of wisdom is only a block away. I want to fly with the Jetsons, I want to shoot past the stars, I want to
There we go. That was the Jetsons by Joe Martin Music. That's kind of fun. I like that. Meet the Jetsons. The Jetsons. I lo- yeah, I love the Jetsons. Uh, how you doing over there? You good? You're- I'm good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Are you fired up? Fired up. Okay. Well then, you know. Thank that you means. for listening to the Let's Jupiter Station and feed. You can catch the whole episode with all of Drew's perfect touches in the Coda Radio feed. You can boost in with your ideas, your feedback, your support for this here feed, and if. If you'd kind of like to hear the entire raw, unedited version of Coder in this here feed, boost in and let me know. Your support, your voice, that'll help us make the determination. Thanks for listening. Now go catch the full show. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>